Isaiah chapter 42, beginning at verse 1. Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him, and he will bring justice to the nations. He will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smouldering wick he will not snuff out. In faithfulness he will bring forth justice. He will not falter or be discouraged till he establishes justice on the earth. In his law the islands will put their hope. This is what the Lord this is what God the Lord says. He who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and all that comes out of it, who gives breath to its people and life to those who walk on it. I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. I will take hold of your hand. I will keep you and will make you to be a covenant to the people and a light for the Gentiles to open the eyes that are blind, to free captives from prison and to release from the dungeon those who sit in darkness. I am the Lord, that is my name. I will not give my glory to another or my praise to idols. See, the former things have taken place and new things I declare before they spring into being I announce them to you. And the next reading is from the New Testament, Philippians chapter 3, beginning at verse 13. Philippians chapter 3, verse 13. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of us, then, who are mature, should take such a view of things. And if on some points you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters. And just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. For, as I have often told you before, and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a saviour from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who, by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his heavenly, his glorious body. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, whom I love 
and long for, my joy and crown. Stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. Thank you, Denise. Good morning, everyone. Great to see you in church this morning. Fantastic to be opening up the Bible with you. Why don't we uh, begin by praying together? A great Heavenly Father, uh, we do thank you uh, for your word, uh, the light it is to our feet. Uh, Lord, please help us to focus now. Help, help us to listen. Help us to look to you. Help us to see the Lord Jesus in all his glory and help us to live for him. We pray for Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, I want to begin this morning by talking about heroes uh, and get, getting you to think about who is your hero. Um, now, we've got a number of photos up there on the screen and they might, they might be nowhere near your hero. Uh, but I've just put up some famous Australians, uh, influential people. So Rose Batty was Australian of the Year, uh, advocate for victims of domestic violence. Ned Kelly is up there. I'm not sure that Rosie would be happy that she's next to Ned Kelly. Uh, isn't it an interesting observation about our Australian uh, psyche that we have a thief and a murderer as a hero, a national iconic hero? Delta Goodrum, uh, in all her beauty and talent as a singer, and uh, she's up there. Steve Irwin, uh, his champion of nature. Rupert Murdoch, the wealthy, wealthy man that he is, the intelligent man that he is. Kathy Freeman, the iconic uh, sportswoman. Julia Gillard for uh, her political uh, genius, some would say. I won't let you comment on those. Um, but there is some problems, isn't there, with heroes, uh, whether they're up there on the screen, whether it's someone close to you, your mum, your dad, a, a brother, a, whoever it is, a friend... Um, there is a problem. Can you think of what the problem is? It's, it's fairly obvious. You start to look a little bit more closely at people. In fact, some of them you don't have to look very closely at all to see imperfection. They're very imperfect people, aren't they? Uh, people who are flawed, people who make mistakes, uh, some willing to admit it more than others. Uh, as we look to human beings, uh, we are going to be disappointed. But there's another problem as you look at those pictures, and it's the one of mortality. Uh, two of the people up there have already died. All of them will die in the end. Uh, that's a problem too, isn't it? As we look to human heroes, they won't always be there for us. A real hero actually needs to do better than that, doesn't it? Uh, needs to be that model, needs to be lasting. I've shared with you before a friend who's in ministry uh, who said to his wife... Uh, his wife, who he lost to cancer, uh, said to his wife before she passed, well before she even got diagnosed with cancer, you are not my hero and I cannot be your hero because one day one of us will be at the graveside of the other. And that's so true, isn't it? Uh, he is a Christian man who's, who was very clear that his hero is the Lord Jesus. It was very clear to his wife and his kids, your hero needs to be the Lord Jesus. And I hope you're convinced of that this morning, that Jesus really is worthy to be our hero, the, the perfect man, uh, the man that always trusted Jesus, the lasting man, the man who will be there for eternity for us. Um, I really hope you're convinced that he should be your hero, the, the person that you should be living for, uh, for all eternity. 
If you're not convinced, that's okay. Uh, we want to explore that with you. And um, can I just remind you again, Simply Christianity kicks off next Sunday. Make sure you come along. Now, we're called to follow Jesus. If you're a Christian, I hope you're hearing that all the time. And that's what the scripture keeps saying to us. Follow the Lord Jesus. Look to him. He is your saviour. He is your Lord. In fact, God's project in your life is to make you more like the Lord Jesus. Um, So work with the Spirit, work with God as he makes you more like the Lord Jesus. But as you do that, as you pursue Jesus and follow him, God in his kindness has given us lots of helps along the way, hasn't he? One of those helps is leaders. Uh, The scriptures keep talking to us about leaders, people who will model to us what it looks like to follow the Lord Jesus. And our church leaders, us as pastors, should be this in a very uh, frail and broken way. Uh, And it's why it's so important, whoever you are as a leader in church, that your life actually displays the Lord Jesus. But it's not actually limited to that, is it? All of us are an example to each other, whether whether good or bad. It's why we're part of God's family. Uh, We're going to encourage or discourage each other as we follow the Lord Jesus. It's, It's why we're part of... God's church. But what we're going to look at today is one man whom the scriptures call us, one of one person the scriptures call us to follow as he follows the Lord Jesus, and that's the Apostle Paul. As Matt mentioned, we're going to zoom out from the book of Acts, uh, have a look at what drives the Apostle Paul as he says, come and follow me as I follow the Lord Jesus. That's a wonderful thing to say, isn't it? And you might even be thinking, can I say that of my life? Could I say that to my kids? Uh, gee, I, there were some humbling moments this, this week as I thought about, could I say that to my kids? Come and follow me only as I follow the Lord Jesus. That clause is so crucial, isn't it? Only as I follow the Lord Jesus. And that's what Paul is saying to us in the scriptures. That's what God has inspired him to say. Follow me as I follow the Lord Jesus. Have a look. It's actually quite explicit Uh, Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ, he says to the Corinthian church. Or another example, I urge you, next one, to imitate me. Watch my life, uh, my doctrine, imitate me, do what I do. Uh, But it's not even just Paul pointing to himself, he's actually saying something broader than that to the Philippians. Uh, The next one, join together. In following my example, brothers and sisters, and just as you've, you have us as a model, I think he's talking about the apostles, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. Uh, so who should you follow? The, the apostle, the Lord Jesus, the apostle Paul, but actually anyone who follows in the pattern of Paul uh, is someone to keep your eyes on to, as a model, as an example. So it raises two really, really important sets of questions for us, I think. One is... Uh, what, what shapes Paul? Uh, what drives him? What motivates him? What's his, what are his values and priorities uh, that we might follow him? But also raise another question too, doesn't it? What drives us? What shapes us? Why am I like the way I am? Uh, who motivates me? Uh, who is my example? Uh, so we're going to be thinking about ourselves this morning. Who do I look up to? Who do I want to be like? And... Uh, in the background, so up the top there, is actually the Lord Jesus. What shapes Jesus' life, isn't it? Uh, that won't be explicit today, but you'll keep hearing echoes. As you see what's important to Paul and what's worth following in Paul, of course, 
that's what's worth following in Jesus. That's because he's like the Lord Jesus. So a big challenge for us this morning is going to be what drives us, what, what motivates us, who do we follow, who do we want to be like. That's what we're going to be challenged by. Before we start on that journey, it's worth thinking, think about it yourself. Just have a moment with yourself to think, what is it that drives me? Uh, who am I as a person? Uh, why do I do the things I do? What's important to you? Have a think about that. And uh, I'll put up a picture on the screen of a, of a time recently when I considered this. So a long service leave can be a very dangerous thing. Uh, you get lots of time to reflect and think, uh, lots of time on the beach. This is uh, Nat and I on the beach at Ellis Beach, about 30 minutes north of Cairns. Uh, really idyllic part of the world. Uh, you know, it's typical... Sorry to say it, but the Queenslanders are right. Perfect one day. What is it? Beautiful one day, perfect the next. It's so true of Ellis Beach. Um, we camped right on the sand. Uh, it, it looks like a tropical island. Uh, all your cares and worries get melted away. Um, we had two grey nomads camp next to us. Uh, one was there for two months, one was there for three months. Uh, they come up every year because it's, it's, so, it's so beautiful. And as we're, th- as we're there on the beach, and you notice there's no children in the picture, which is, uh, makes it a little bit more relaxing um, at that point in time, uh, I thought to myself, what? Why, why not do this all the time? Why aren't we on a tropical island 100% of the time? Um, some people, it seemed, were trying to achieve that goal. Uh, in their retirements. In fact, sometimes throughout the trip, it seemed that there were two groups of people. One group of people who were achieving it, who seemed to be always on holidays, enjoying themselves, and another group of people who were working as hard as they could uh, so they might actually get to do that one day or p- for part of their life. And, you know, it starts to get you thinking, doesn't it? Is, is that a good goal? Is, uh, should I be aiming for that comfort, um, that pleasure, uh, why not be on the tropical island for the rest of your life? Have you thought about this? Um, you need to. Um, now, some of us are hindered by money, um, but it's actually quite cheap to live up there. I can, I can show you how to do it. Um, you could have your kids homeschooled. Um, what's stopping you? Why aren't you picking up everything and going to the tropical island and enjoying yourself uh, there. So we'll come back to that question uh, as we think about the Apostle Paul. Back to the Apostle Paul and his example, I want to say that Paul's life, how do we summarise it? I think we can summarise it by saying it is a gospel-shaped life. Uh, Paul's life is a gospel-shaped life. That is, it is the gospel of the Lord Jesus that shapes his priorities and his values. So we're going to spend some time unpacking uh, what does that actually mean Uh, that the gospel drives him. And three things. The first thing I reckon it's worth picking up on is on your outline. They're all on your outline there if you want to open up and we'll flick to different parts of the Bible uh, as we go through. First one is Paul has a deep appreciation of God's calling on his life. Uh, So we picked up on this last week, didn't we? It's very clear to Paul that God has called him. Uh, you can't miss that in Acts chapter 9, that God has a purpose for his life. Uh, that was what happened at his conversion, wasn't it? He's called by Jesus. 
uh, out of darkness. He was in rebellion to God. Uh, he was opposing Jesus. He was persecuting Jesus' people. And what, what happens? God calls him. Now, you're going to be forgiven. You're going to be uh, living for me, the Lord Jesus. And you're going to serve me. You're going to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. I will be your Lord and you will be my person. You will be my instrument uh, to the ends of the earth. And, and such a radical transformation, we saw this last week, uh, that he's actually living proof of the gospel, isn't he? So it's like God says, I'm going to grab you, I'm going to show in your life how powerful the gospel is, and then I'm going to get you to take that gospel to the ends of the earth. Um, so deep within Paul is uh, that knowledge that I am the worst of sinners. That's what he says in 1 Timothy um, but God has saved me. That Christ can save sinners just like me. That's deep within Paul that he has been called by God, that he has been affected by the grace of God, that the forgiveness of sins is real to him uh, and that is what he offers to the world. It's very clear too that Jesus is now his Lord. Uh, Jesus is the King and he lives for him. It's a very powerful thing, isn't it, to, to know your calling in life, to know your purpose in life. Uh, and, and Paul was crystal clear what that purpose was. Um, it's not just the Bible that says that purpose is really important. Uh, you would have noticed, even amongst uh, your friends who don't follow Jesus, they would say purpose is really important. Um, some people have even said to me over the years, Gee, it's, it's so good that you know your calling in life, uh, referring to me being a pastor. Think about that this week. Actually, every Christian knows their calling in life because every Christian is called by God. Uh, it's not just pastors. It's every Christian brother and sister. The Bible doesn't actually use that word called particularly for pastors. He uses it for every person who follows the Lord Jesus. So I actually had a look this week through all the references. You could do the same. Look up the word called uh, throughout the New Testament and have a look at who you are. You are called by God. Um, all these things. God has called you, firstly, to belong to Jesus Christ. I won't give you all the reference. These are, this one's from Romans. He's called you into fellowship with his son. Uh, he's called you to live a holy life. He's called you to be free he's called you to be to live at peace peace with god and peace with other people uh, he's called you out of darkness into light and he's called you to eternal life he's also called you to suffer uh, to follow in the example of the lord jesus it says in one peter and to suffer and one that's not up there he's called you to be a light in a dark world See how powerful that is? For you to realise, for, for us to realise, we have been called by the living God. Uh, this is who you are, says the God of the universe. I have called you, my special child, to be belonging to Jesus Christ, to have fellowship uh, with, the, with the Lord Jesus, to be holy, to be free, to be at peace. And we just got to keep reminding ourselves that uh, put your name in these sentences uh, as I think about who I am. Michael, 
You belong to Jesus Christ. Michael, you've been called to be holy. Michael, you've been called to be free. Michael, you've been called to a life of peace, peace with God and peace with others. Michael, you've been called out of darkness into light. Michael, you've been called to eternal life. Michael, you've been called to suffer for the Lord Jesus. Michael, you've been called to be a light to a dark world. It's very powerful, isn't it? That's what the Apostle Paul had, and that's what we have. A deep, deep calling from God himself. That is who you are. And so Paul says, be, understand that. Be like I am. Understand that you are called by God. That is where you're heading. That is what your life is about. Um, understand that. Now I reckon out of that deep understanding of God's calling on his life, uh, it flowed for Paul that he would have a deep concern for others that God is going to call out of darkness. And that's the second point on your outline. Uh, Paul had a deep compassion for the lost. A deep compassion for the lost. His heart aches for those who don't have this purpose in Christ, who don't belong uh, to the Lord Jesus. So have a look at these, these absolutely incredible verses. Romans chapter 9. Paul says, I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my people, those of my own race. See, Paul, he looks upon the Jewish race. He looks upon Israel, looks upon his people. Kind of like us looking upon the people of the Central Coast. My heart is filled with anguish. I so desire them to come to know Jesus that I'd even count myself cut off for their sake. That's an incredible thing to say, isn't it? Uh, Or look what he says in Romans chapter 10. Brothers and sisters, my heart's desire. Next one. My heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. That is all I I desire. That is all I care about. uh, That they may be saved. Uh, it, It echoes the Lord Jesus, doesn't it? Jesus who wept over Jerusalem, if only they would come. Uh, Jesus who said that people were sheep without a shepherd, Uh, Jesus who was concerned about people's physical needs, but actually most of all concerned that they come into the kingdom of God. Paul's like that, isn't he? Unceasing anguish that those around him might come to know the Lord Jesus. And you've got to ask yourself, why why is Paul so concerned about this? Why is he so driven by people who are lost? Why doesn't Paul sit on the tropical island and just enjoy himself? He did spend some time on islands, didn't he? But why isn't he pulling out the banana chair and enjoying himself? Um, why don't, uh, I've said it before, why don't we? Seriously, why, why don't we just take it easy? Why don't we stretch ourselves so much? Even as a church, we reach out. We stretch uh, to reach out to those outside of us. Uh, we stretch our budget to reach those in other parts of the country, in other parts of the world. Why do we, why do we persist in this? Well, I want to suggest to you that Paul has certain stakes in the ground if you like certain things in his mind and his conviction four things that he's absolutely sold on crystal clear on 
that drive him and drive his compassion for the lost. Let me tell you what I think they are. First one is, up on the screen, Jesus is coming again. Uh, Paul is absolutely clear there is coming a judgment day. Paul is absolutely clear that there is coming a day when every human being will face the Lord Jesus. That day is a fixture in God's calendar. Uh, We are all moving towards it. Every day we're a step closer. In the kindness of God, he's delaying that day. But Paul is crystal clear. That will happen. That is what every human being will face, the Lord Jesus, on that last day in judgment. And that, that, is a, that is a reality that should sober us, isn't it? As we reflect on that, uh, if that day was today, we know that so many would face the Lord Jesus, not as friends, but as enemies. And that is an awful thought. That is, that is a great driver for us to have compassion, isn't it? On people without Jesus. It's a great driver for us to pray uh, for those who don't know the Lord Jesus. So Paul has that day in mind. He has another day in mind as well. The second thing is that he realises Jesus has died for sins. Uh, a, a great thing has happened uh, at the cross, that Jesus has actually dealt with sin, our greatest problem, uh, completely, once and for all, that all who turn to Jesus might have forgiveness of sins. He's dealt with the problem. And so Paul looks back at that day as a, as a great day, the death and resurrection of Jesus, when God was so powerful and so kind that he dealt with sin that people don't need to prove themselves before God anymore. People don't need to cover up their sins or punish themselves for sins, but they can openly come to God and ask for forgiveness. And because of that day, because of the cross, people can be forgiven. And so Paul has that absolutely crystal clear in his mind. Thirdly, he has in his mind that the gospel is powerful to change people. This message of Christ's death and resurrection, uh, as God works by his word and this message goes out to the world and works by his spirit, people will change. People will come to a living faith uh, in the Lord Jesus. That's what he says happened uh, to the Ephesians, uh, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13. He says, You, Ephesians, were also included in Christ when you heard the message of truth. And someone proclaimed the message of truth to you. You heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. And when you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. Uh, you became uh, the Lord Jesus. Because the gospel came to you and you believed. The spirit worked in you and you were drawn, you were called. Uh, So Paul is absolutely clear. That is the way God works, by his word and by his spirit as his gospel goes out. And the fourth thing I reckon that's in Paul's mind is that life is short. Have you noticed how urgent Paul operates throughout the New Testament? Uh, How much of a priority uh, his life, his his gospel, his work is, uh, that we don't actually have much time. We don't know when the Lord Jesus will return. Uh, we're only here for a short time. And Paul's so clear, he actually sees people in two very distinct categories, doesn't he? You're either in Christ or you're without Christ. Uh, you either have the hope of eternal life or you are lost. Uh, Paul is crystal clear. 
as he thinks about that big picture that here we are living in this time between the Lord Jesus' return and the, and the death of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus. Um, there is two groups of people, those in Christ or those without Christ. And so you go back to the picture of Ellis Beach, which we all just want to keep looking at because we all want to be there. How can, we can't actually spend our life on Ellis Beach, can we? Um, even if you had all the money in the world, even if you had the opportunity to do it, um, it it's a great place to go, isn't it? I want to keep telling myself, it's a great place to go for a holiday. I might go back there as a holiday. I might even spend a bit more time there as a retiree. But then again, you might not. So it even changes retirement, doesn't it? Um, I came back uh, and, oh, gee, I so encouraged by the retirees of our church because on our trip there was just a sea of retirees living for self, living for Ellis Beach. This is life. This is all there is. Uh, living for comfort and pleasure without Jesus. And it's a great encouragement to see uh, members of our church who've retired to actually say, no, no, we're living for the Lord Jesus. And Ellis Beach is a great place to go, but that's not where life is. Uh, life is following the Lord Jesus wherever we might go, but I'm going to serve the Lord Jesus and I'm going to use my retirement um, to, to honour the Lord Jesus and to serve him uh, because life is short, because Christ has died for sins, because Christ is coming again. Uh, that, that's a great encouragement, isn't it? When we see our retirees, like many of our retirees are doing at our church. Now, because all of this is true, the third thing I think is true, uh, that is, Paul has a preparedness to suffer. Uh, see, if he's so convicted, if these things are true uh, about the gospel, then he's actually prepared to suffer for them. I reckon that's even how you work out whether you're actually convicted, isn't it? Uh, when, when the message is popular, when it's people love you for being Christian, uh, th- that's not necessarily showing that you're convicted. It's when people don't like you being Christian. It's when, when people don't like the message of the Lord Jesus and you, life will be uncomfortable, that you'll be unpopular. Then you actually see, are you actually convicted? Do I really believe this? Do I really think this is important and of great priority uh, our convictions are tested on and, and they were for the apostle paul and they can firstly they're tested because you will be unpopular uh, the bible keeps saying you will be persecuted it says if you live a godly life and so that happens to the apostle paul doesn't it he lives a really difficult life uh, because of these convictions uh, he's not, it's not the club med lifestyle, is it? Uh, just read 2 Corinthians chapter 11, 23 to 29 in your, in your spare time. Um, let me point out to you what happened to Paul. He was flogged more severely. He was exposed to death again and again. He received uh, from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. He was beaten with rods. He was pelted with stones. He was shipwrecked. Uh, he was constantly on the move. He was in danger from bandits, danger from, in danger from fellow Jews, in danger at sea, in danger from false believers. He's laboured and toiled without sleep, 
He's gone hungry and thirsty. Apart from that, life was luxurious. <laughs> it's a difficult life, isn't it? Now, there, there's, there's a lot of uniqueness to the Apostle Paul, but if we live for the Lord Jesus and have these convictions, uh, life will not be easy. In fact, 1 Peter says, follow the Lord Jesus and suffer like he did. There is your model. So that's a great challenge to us, isn't it? In a, life, in a world where, uh, where uh, comfort and self and pleasure is promoted and is our God, uh, we, we're called to follow the Lord Jesus. A different set of priorities and we will suffer. Second reason I reckon we'll suffer is the reason Paul suffered and that is to win people to Christ. Uh, and I use the word suffer but I, I'm actually talking about Maybe life will be different, it'll be uncomfortable, it'll not be about you because your desire is to actually see people one for Christ. And so have a look at how Paul puts this in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Uh, next one, thanks Dave. Do not cause anyone to stumble, whether Jews, Greeks or the Church of God, even as I try to please everyone in every way, for I'm not seeking my own good, but the good of many, so that they may be saved. See, lots of people are seeking their own good. Uh, lots of people are saying life is about, actually about me in the end. But the Apostle Paul is saying, no, no, it's not about me. It's not about my own good. I'm actually going to do what's good for others. I'm actually going to put my life aside, like the Lord Jesus, and serve others. Why? Because I want them to be saved. Have a look at 1 Corinthians chapter 9, the next one. Though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. We're called to be free. We can live how we like. There's nothing wrong with living on Ells Beach. But Paul says, I make myself a slave. I give up myself for the sake of others um, so that I might win people to the Lord Jesus. Uh, it says something really significant, doesn't it, about how we reach out. It says, I'm going to change. I'm going to put myself out for the sake of the person who doesn't know the Lord Jesus. Um, I'm going to be as flexible as possible. We are going to be as flexible as possible as a church. We're going to be as accommodating as possible. We're going to put no stumbling block in anyone's way so that they might come to the Lord Jesus. And you can, see, can think of a whole lot of context, can't you? Some of you just do this all, all of the time uh, as you think about summer. And Matt's already mentioned Good News Week. And you just naturally think, well, how can I get on board with the things we're doing at the lakes to make sure that we get the gospel out to other people? I've got opportunities. I've got holidays. I can do this. I can do that. Uh, we've got sprucing up for spring coming up or later on the footy night or the men. You know, a whole lot of things... Many of you are so encouraged and think, I can be part of that. I could, you know, you might not like sprucing up for spring, but you're prepared to bring a friend because you know that it would be so good for them to come and hear something about Christianity. It actually just becomes a mindset, doesn't it? Uh, one of the dangers uh, of me giving you examples is that those examples won't fit for everyone. And so rather than thinking this... Uh, application for this talk has to be that I do this uh, that, that won't be the case for everyone uh, the same thing 
It's actually a mindset, isn't it? It's actually thinking like the, the Apostle Paul. Given the Lord Jesus is returning, given the Lord Jesus has come and died for sins, given that life is short and the gospel is powerful, I've been given opportunities. How might I um, make, my, make myself a slave to others that they might come and follow the Lord Jesus? How can I play my part in the mission? Uh, I'm not the Apostle Paul. Um, I'm, I'm not you. You're not me. We're all different. But somehow we need to work out under God how, with these deep convictions, how we might be part of this great mission. Now, having said that, I want to finish with an example of a man who did this uh, in, in quite a profound way. Um, and it, it, is, it does relate to my trip as well, because we actually visited this place called Hermansburg. Has anyone ever been there? There's a few people. Uh, the bottom of the Northern Territory, uh, it's the West McDonald Ranges, so it's, it's a few hours' drive out west of Alice Springs. Uh, it's a mission station. It's an Aboriginal community of about 600 people to this day. Uh, but the mission station was set up there in uh, the mid-1800s. Uh, and a man by the name of Frederick Adolf Hermann Kemp, you can probably guess he's German, uh, came out with... Uh, there was three pastors altogether from Germany. Um, it's home to Albert Namajira. So Albert Namajira... His parents were converted uh, at Hermansburg and Albert was raised as a Christian. Uh, so he's, if you're not aware, he's a, a famous Australian artist. Uh, the, these three men came out from Germany and Kemp was one of them. Uh, and it's an incredible story. It's an incredible story. Uh, who met, uh, so Kemp grew up in, in Germany, uh, I don't think was from a Christian family, uh, was a, a joiner by trade in Dresden, Germany, um, heard the gospel in Germany, uh, became a Christian, uh, signed up for the ministry at the Hermansburg Mission Seminary in 1870, uh, and then part of that mission, uh, they, they went out to the ends of the earth with, with the gospel. Uh, and his uh, station was... Uh, the desert of Australia to Aboriginal people. That's incredible, wasn't it? Why would someone take himself and his wife all the way across the world out of the comforts of Europe uh, to the desert, the dusty, uh, difficult uh, environment uh, of the Northern Territory to a people group who are very, who live very, very different life? Uh, difficult times, many... Um, People died. Uh, he had six children, uh, but his wife died uh, when they gave birth to the sixth child. It's, it's, it's an incredible story. Why did he do it? And the reason is the gospel, isn't it? Why would anyone support him doing that? It's because of the gospel, isn't it? It's because he was absolutely convinced that Jesus is coming again. He's absolutely convinced that Jesus died for sins and that the Aboriginal people need to hear it. He's absolutely convinced that the gospel can change people, and it did. He's absolutely convinced that life is short. So as we think about these things this morning, where is it for you? It's, we're not the Apostle Paul. Uh, we're not heading for Hermansburg. Uh, we're here on the Central Coast, although some of us will go out 
to places like Hermansburg and to the world uh, with these deep convictions. Uh, but let's put that slide up again, the last one, as we finish. What shapes my life? What about you? Uh, what motivates you? What guides you? Who do you look to? Um, let's keep looking to the Lord Jesus. But what a great model and example to us in the Apostle Paul. Uh, his deep convictions of the Lord Jesus that drove him. Why don't, why don't I pray? Our gracious Heavenly Father, uh, we do indeed thank you uh, for your great plan of salvation. A plan of salvation that involved the Apostle Paul. Uh, we thank you for your great power in his life to change him, to use him as, as an instrument in your hands as you bring the gospel to the Gentiles. Uh, Father, please grow us uh, in our convictions. Grow us to understand the great calling that you've placed on our lives, that you have deeply saved us as children of God. You've called us to be lights uh, in a dark, dark world. Father, please convict us again of the deep need of salvation in our world. Uh, please grow us in compassion uh, for those around us uh, who are lost. Uh, Father, we long uh, to love uh, and serve you and bring honour uh, to the Lord Jesus. So please help us as we think through how we might play our part uh, in your great plans and purposes for Jesus' sake.